Welcome, family, to the Terry and Jesse show. My partner Terry's out doing some apostolic work. Got a lot to talk about today. Uh, first of all, remember the month of November. Let's not forget to pray for our departed family members who have passed away. That's what the month of November is dedicated to, commemorating those who have died and departed, and hopefully they've gone to their heavenly home. Uh, so, uh, you know, this practice of playing for the dead, it goes back all the way into the Old Testament with the Jewish people. In 2 Maccabees chapter 12, verse 43 to 46, it says that it is a holy and wholesome thought to pray for the souls of the dead so that God can release them from their sins. So, today we got a, a great guest. I'm going to be interviewing Sean McAfee. He wrote a book on sacramentals. We're going to have a, do a deep dive on sacramentals, the power of church blessings, the powers of signs, and the power of devotions. He'll be on on the next segment. But uh, for now... Before I go to today's gospel, I just want to give you some things that are on the rundown. Some of the news items. Uh, Biden fans, rumors of Newsom White House run. Yep. President Joe Biden commented this week that California Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom could have the job I'm looking for if he wanted. The quip has raised eyebrows as Biden's approval ratings drop. And a growing number of Democratic strategists cast doubt on the aging president's re-election prospects. Gavin Newsom from California is rumored to be already, he's uh, rumored to be running a shadow campaign for the White House. Also, NBA star launches Bible-themed shoe line. Yep, Orlando Magic power forward Jonathan, Jonathan Isaac spoke to the Daily Wire about his signature shoe line called Judah One which features Bible verses. This uh, NBA, NBA basketball player says, I wanted to create something that could be a voice and a beacon of light and hope for lovers of God and lovers of country, <clears throat> um, Jonathan Isaac said. Good for him. Women forfeits championship contests against male. Spectators cheered a pool player in the United Kingdom after she decided to forfeit the championship round of a woman's tournament rather than compete against a male who says he is a woman. More women must follow the example of this brave woman. This is how the madness will end, wrote Seth Dillon. Also, FBI probes satanic pedophiles only after one uses racial slur. The FBI is finally investigating a satanic pedophilic gang that has long blackmailed and extorted minors to harm themselves and generate child pornography. The FBI's primary reason for investigating the group came only when the agency alleged that one of the gang members is a white supremacist. Notably, the individual in question has in the past used several anti-white slurs. Also, elementary school being forced to accept Satan Club, parents and faith leaders in Lebanon, Connecticut, are outraged that Satanists are planning an after-school club for elementary school children in their town beginning December 1st. We understand that Satan is a triggering, is, is a triggering evil, terrible being in your biblical world, said a representative of the Satanic Temple. But in our world, the Satanist said, we look to him differently. Also, vandalism at historic French church. Vandals broke into the Basilica of the Sacred Heart in Rouen, France on Tuesday night, 
stealing multiple sacred items and causing serious damage to the altar. It's located in the northern region of France. Rouen is a historic city where St. Joan of Arc was burned at the stake. Hmm. And today's gospel, speaking about soul food, that always picks me up. Today's holy gospel is, is given to us by St. Luke. And I'm going to tell you, St. Luke, in case you didn't know, he's the, he's the only person in Scripture, or the only person in the New Testament, that was not a Jew. He's a Greek physician. And he's also a Greek historian. So, let me read to you the Gospel of St. Luke for today. But I, I, I would also be uh, remiss if I didn't tell you who the saint of the day was after today's Gospel. So, St. Elizabeth of Hungary, pray for us. And I love today's responsorial psalm. It's one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. That's all an atheist needs to know. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. Today's gospel, Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 37. Jesus said to his disciples, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Similarly, as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. On the day when, uh, on the day when Lot left Sodom, fire and brimstone rained from the sky to destroy them all. So it will be on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, someone who's on the housetop and whose belongings are in the house must not go down to get them. And likewise, one in the field must not return to what was left behind. Remember the wife of Lot. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses it will save it. I tell you, on that day, there will be two people in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. And there will be two women grinding meal together. One will be taken, the other left. They said to him in reply, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is Luke chapter 17 today. And what precipitates today's gospel at Holy Mass, this is part of an entire section where Luke, Luke writes about the coming of the kingdom of God. So this whole section yesterday and today is about the coming of the kingdom of God. And Jesus Christ uses the phrase that the kingdom of God is in your midst. Well, this expression means the kingdom of God is among you or the kingdom of God is within your reach. And our Lord is using this to stress the nearness of the kingdom. There's a catechism verse that says that wherever Jesus is, there is the kingdom of God. In today's gospel also, you'll see that Jesus announces the coming of the kingdom of God in the days of the Son of Man. That's a reference to him. There's two considerations that suggest that he's forewarning the disciples of the downfall of Jerusalem, which occurred in 70 AD. 
when the Romans attacked the city and sacked the city. Many of the saints collected here in today's gospel and yesterday's gospel, they appear in the Olivet Discourse where they more explicitly refer to the doom that awaits the city of Jerusalem and the temple because they have rejected their Messiah. This is called a covenant curse. Mention of the days of the Son of Man is echoed later in Luke when reference is made to the days when foreign armies will besiege the city in Luke 19.43 and the days when the temple will be devastated in Luke 21 verse 6. That's a direct reference to what happened in 70 AD when thousands of Roman soldiers under the orders of Captain Titus and Emperor Vespasian uh, launched an assault against Jerusalem and sacked the city and killed over a million Israelites uh, on that day. Our Lord also talks about that you will desire to see. So what's he talking about that you will desire to see? The disciples will long to see the vindication of Jesus as he avenges a city that condemned him to a violent death. They will not see it firsthand. However, because Jesus will order them to evacuate Jerusalem and flee from Judea before the onset of judgment to the city of Pella. And to stress the importance of fleeing without hesitation, Jesus reminds them of how Lot escaped from Sodom before its destruction and yet his own wife perished for turning back. Our Lord also talks about some people will will be taken and some will be left. Our Lord is depicting the fate of the wicked who will be swept away into judgment, into damnation. And he also is talking about the righteous who will be mercifully spared unto salvation. And then our Lord ends by talking about at the last verse, he says, he said to them, where the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Where the body is, the eagles will be gathered together. Remember the symbol of pagan Rome was an eagle. That's the symbol of pagan Rome. It was an eagle. And so the, where the body is, this is an image of Jerusalem surrounded and besieged by Roman soldiers. And that actually happened in 70 AD. And by the way, what happened in Jerusalem in 70 AD is but a microcosm of the end of the world of the second coming of Christ. There will be covenant judgment. And we know that as the Bible says, judgment begins in the household of God. Well, up next, we're going to have Sean McAfee. He's a convert to the Catholic faith and a lay Dominican. And he's written a book that I want to really talk about. The theology of sacramentals and the power of sacramentals and blessings. Don't go anywhere, family. We'll be right back with Sean McAfee. The Terry and Jesse Show. We've got Sean McAfee. Hey, Sean, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Let me tell you a little bit about Sean here. Here's his bio. He can correct me if I miss something. He's a convert to the Catholic faith. 
He's a lay Dominican. He's the founder and editor of EpicPew.com. He writes for numerous uh, Catholic publications and resources, including the National Catholic Register. Those are the good guys, by the way. Not to be confused with the National Catholic Reporter. And he currently lives in New Orleans, Louisiana, with his wife, Jessica, and their six children. Well, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, no corrections. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And you wrote a book. It's a tan book. Uh, it's called Compendium of Sacramentals, Encyclopedia of the Church's Blessings, Signs, and Devotions. John, from, what, from which Christian tradition did you come from? Just, actually, I do have one correction. It's not a tan book. It's a, it's a red book. I'm just kidding. That was a good joke. Okay, I'm a dad of six children, and you can't turn it off. It's by tan books. Um, what I came from Southern Baptist uh, denomination. I was wow. born and raised Southern Baptist, and about the time I got out and joined the military, I became really non-denominational, which I think kind of led me to the church. But it's interesting because, nonetheless, Southern Baptist and non-denominational, those are rooted in very Bible-only, and I can imagine what you were taught about Catholics those Catholics worship these objects called sacramentals and relics. I mean, that's that's quite a jump from Southern Baptist to Catholic to writing about sacramentals. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome home, brother. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, on that, I tell you what, in my household, we didn't talk a lot about other faiths unless it was like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. And it wasn't like slamming them, but it was like, hey, you know, these these don't believe in Jesus Christ. But we had a Lutheran church right down the street growing up. And I was like, and I remember I was like 14, 15 years old one day. I was like, Dad, why don't we go to that one? It's right there. And he was like, well, we're not Lutheran. And that was it. That was enough for me. Of course, you know, <laughs> in my early adult years, I became more curious, you know, why aren't we Lutheran or Anglican? <laughs> So, yeah. So well, how, yeah, how did you come into the Catholic Church? You know, just give us a, a you know, just a, a quick uh, summary. Yeah, I got out of the Air Force and I, uh, I had an intense faith for the Lord and a desire to understand him and understand what he wants for me in my life. And of course, um, I wanted to seek truth. My wife bought me an apologetics Bible, which wasn't a Catholic. I think it was like an NIV translation. And I started going through there and just get enamored in, you know, really what Scripture says about things and what we believe. And then I met a Catholic who really knew his stuff. Like this guy probably could have answered questions on the quick answers for Catholic answers. And, uh, and I tried to prove him wrong for weeks and weeks and weeks straight. And I just ended up, the more I read, the more I was like, why can't I be Catholic? Why, why am I not Catholic yet? And, uh, and I even told myself, you know, I can't, I, I don't really want to do this Christian thing anymore. If I can't do it like this, like, like Catholics do. So I joined the church as soon as I could, got in on the next RCIA and, uh, Yep, had my baptism affirmed, and now I've been Catholic for 12 years. Wow, did you meet this guy in the military or outside of the military? No, he was a psychologist of mine after I'd gotten out of the military. Wow. I was dealing with some stuff, and uh, you know, we, I wanted a, faith, a faithful way to, to go about that and uh, gave it to me. Wow, he, he sure gave you psychology. He gave you, uh, he gave you the fullness of truth. And you know what's here... funny is the basis of <laughs> psyche in, the, in ancient Greek is spirit. So, yes, he gave me spiritualism, you know, study of spirituality, theology, uh, even though I was seeking, you know, stuff with my head. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, yeah, yeah, psychology, actually, it's it, it, just the name, the definition. It's religious, it's spiritual and components, not secular. It's not godless. And That's so right. God bless that guy for uh, for uh, being a, uh, an undercover apologist working, uh, you know, daylight, you know, working uh, moonlighting as a psychologist. Oh, yeah. Yep, he did a good job. Yeah. So, Sean, tell us a little bit about your book is called Encyclopedia of the Church's Blessings, Signs, and Devotions. Well, 
why did you even want to write a book like this? I mean, what what uh, inspired you to write a book about sacramentals? Yeah, the pitch that I made to Tan it was super easy. I had done a book for Catholic Answers, one of their 20 answer series books, defending sacramentals and relics. And that was like, there was a word count there, if you're familiar with the series, because they all got to kind of be the same thickness. Yeah. Um, but I, and it was like 18,000 words. But by the time I had finished writing that book, I knew that I had enough for like a very high volume, high page count mm-hmm. or volume of words. And I, and I wasn't able to say everything that I wanted to say. And, and of course, I didn't get to discover everything that I wanted to discover. Um, part of the joy of writing is discovery. So I was able to pitch this book to Tan. I just wanted to kind of create one of their manual books, you know, hey, here's what they are. Here's how to use them. And they gave me the opportunity to do this gorgeous book with all these pictures. And they said, hey, we've got this compendium series. You know, there's two others before this. Is this what you're is this something you're interested in? They didn't have to sell me on it. I was like, of course, I'll do that. What a privilege it was to write this book. You know, it's got sacred art on just about every page or image of the sacramentals we're talking about. So Mm. really the curiosity drove me. But of course, I just wanted to give Catholics something to show their to to boost their appreciation uh, for sacramentals and, of course, thwart them to use them and practice them in their own life. Uh, Sean, is there anything even remotely close to sacramentals in the Protestant expression, Southern Baptist, fundamentalist? Yes and no. Uh, Our definition is very crisp, and maybe we can get into that, but it involves the intercession of the church in endorsing them and making them at all efficacious. Um, But I would say, yes, uh, Protestants might not realize that they have things like crucifixes. They still have Ash Wednesday. Um, Mm -hmm. They still do things with palm branches and ashes, and, and even some do things with salt. Um, of course, our liturgical brethren, the Anglicans and the Lutherans, yes, they they're they're quite um, sacramentalized. Uh, but you know, the the more non-denominational, they might it might be subtle, but it's still there. It's something that they're not realizing that they're they're doing. Yeah, you know, it is subtle because I, when I was a cop and I worked with a lot of non-denominational Christians, uh, brothers in in uniform, they uh, a lot of them, you know, we we would get to talking about faith. And a lot of them would say, yeah, just, you know, for nightmares, what I do is I just grab my Bible and I sleep under my Bible and the nightmares go away. So they, they even kind of understand that something physical can can give actual grace, you know. And some of them would tell me, oh, yeah, when I have a nightmare, I just grab my Bible and my, and on my nightstand. And I just hold it up in the air and uh, and 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 all my nightmare goes away, the night terror. So right. they they even kind of understand that 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 uh, Christianity needs to be incarnational. So how do we define sacramentals? Great question. The church has been trying to put the right kind of definition on these since about the third century. You know, in the, in the old oldest writings, whenever they would talk about things like holy water or even crucifixes and, and, and things like that, things that have been around since the very beginning, they would call them sacraments. But of course, they weren't saying that. They weren't saying that they were efficacious modes of grace for the church to, to be sanctified. These are things... Um, the, the definition in particular is they're, they're sacred signs that bear resemblance to the sacraments. And through the intercession of the church, they're supposed to dispose us to go and have that sanctified lifestyle, a sacramental lifestyle, going and receiving the sacraments, you know, the Eucharist, um, participating in mass, uh, being baptized and so on um, to get us into the kingdom of heaven by sanctifying our lives. So this is this is a question for any Protestant that would be listening, because this is exactly where uh, they would want this answered. Is there a biblical basis for sacramentals? 
Totally. First of all, sacramentals are broken into three categories. They're not just rosaries and crucifixes and things like that. First of all, the first, the first, def, the first breakdown for sacramentals category is blessings. Of course, blessings are there from the very beginning. From the oldest patriarchs, you know, um, Joshua blessing his children, um, all the way to Jesus and the apostles, you know, blessing people. Those are uh, sacramentals. Those are actually the primary form of sacramentals is blessing. So that is riddled throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. Second is exorcisms. We don't find a lot of exorcisms in the Old Testament. The only one we really find hard evidence of is actually in the book of Tobit, uh, where the angel Raphael, he is commiserating with the downcast Tobit, and he asks him to asks him to use the ashes of a burnt fish in order to heal a, heal a, heal somebody. So that is uh, the the oldest representation of a of a uh, uh, exorcism in the Bible. Um, you might be able to point to other remove removals of evil, uh, you know, cleansing and things like that. That's really what we're talking about with um, uh, with exorcisms. But the third form is, of it, course, it, let the, me just jump in, Sean. And that's a good point that you make about the Book of Tobit because Tobit. It wasn't just a prayer that dispelled the demon, but there was actually something physical. There was a physical instrument that he used. And of course, we know that as as Christians, that the fish is a symbol of Christ. You know, that uh, I think it's ichthus in Greek. Mm -hmm. And so, again, it's it's representative of Christ. But again, there was something physical that he used to drive out the diabolical. Yes, and another great example of that is we talk about the the third order, which is the physical and non-physical pious devotions and, and items of piety. Um, we can point to the story of Elijah where he uh, used the bones of a dead man to, or he he blessed the bones um, of the dead man in the pit to, to raise him back to life. Um, that is right there. I mean, that actually counts all three sacramental types. Um, but I like to think that there are plenty. I mean, there is a there are numerous sacramentals in the in the New Testament. First of all. Um, you know, Jesus uses dirt and spit, the mixing of those to heal the blind man. Now, he could have done it without that, but he chose to do it that way. And he is the master. So um, there's that. Uh, blessings exist throughout the New Testament. The cloth in, in Acts chapter 19 of Peter and Paul was touched. And that's kind of like a second class relic, but that was touched. It was sacramentalized in order to heal um, the lepers uh, in that chapter. Um, and we find other, of course, symbols of Christianity or of sacramentals in the early Christian church, which is clearly passed on. Those are the first generation past that tradition from the apostles. You know, these are the people creating crosses, carving crosses everywhere they possibly could, signing themselves in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That was kind of like a secret handshake, but it is our most prevalent sacramental is to cross ourselves. And this is what we find right at right in the biblical age. Yeah, we even find uh, that making a sign of the cross in your forehead in the book of Ezekiel, I think. I think it's chapter 9, where the Israelites, God told the Israelites that had not uh, bend their knee to false gods to cross their to cross their forehead with a T, or with a cross, and uh, the angels would spare them from death. And those that didn't have the cross on their forehead, uh, they would be, uh, they would receive a covenant judgment from God. Uh, so right. yeah, we see that we, you're right. You're right. We see that all yep. over the old, old Testament as well. Yeah. We describe it in the book too, you know, just to go a step further than that. The, the, the oldest descriptions we have of the Paschal lambs, uh, of the, of the Paschal lambs sacrifice is a very descriptive, uh, analysis on how, and this comes from like the third or fourth century comes from an analysis to say that that 
uh, lamb was actually skewed crosswise through the shoulders and up the spine. So mm. that was literally in the sign of a cross, the Paschal wow. lamb being sacrificed and and cooked that way he, he for the consumption of the people. He was cut open with a, a, a cruciform. Yes, wow. exactly. Wow. Well, that's fascinating. Once again, I mean, uh, there's no coincidence why, why God would have that happen. He's yep, just saying, exactly. are you guys listening? Are you listening? My son will be uh, sent in uh, 1,200 years after Moses, and he will be yeah. the sacrificial lamb. We're listening to Sean McAfee. He wrote, he wrote a book. It's a tan book, but it's not tan. It's red, he said. Uh, it's tan book publishing company. The book is called Compendium of Sacramentals, Encyclopedia of the Church's Blessings, Signs, and Devotions. Uh, tanbooks.com, tanbooks.com. We'll continue this conversation, fascinating conversation about the incarnational aspect of Christianity, which are known as sacraments and sacramentals. We'll be right back. Stick around, family. Don't go anywhere. The Terry and Jesse Show. We got Sean McAfee, convert to the Catholic faith from uh, the Southern Baptist fundamentalism, and he's all the guy's in. He's sold. He's he's uh, he's uh, he's uh, so Catholic at this point. He just wrote a book called Compendium of Sacramentals, Encyclopedia of the Church's Blessings, Signs, and Devotions, put out by Ten Books. You can pick it up at tenbooks.com. I would say that Sean McAfee. Uh, He's somebody that basically, once he encountered the truth of the Catholic faith, he said, sign me up, coach, I'm in, because he's all the way in. This guy's writing for the Catholic faith now, and you can just tell that uh, he's written for Catholic Answers. So uh, this is a this is somebody who's did not have an emotional conversion to Catholicism. He, he had a rush of reason, and and he's a Catholic by conviction, not a Catholic because... Uh, uh, because of any, you know, balloons, banners, and butterflies. So, Sean... How, how do we get? How did we as Catholics get sacramentals? How did that de- organically develop from you know Saint Paul blowing his nose, Jesus using spit and mud, the the bones of of, of Elijah in his tomb, uh, Saint Paul Peter's uh, shadow falling upon people and being healed? So those are the the early forms of of of, of physical instruments being used to to confer grace. How do we get from that to the economy of sacramentals as Catholics now? That's a great question, man. I'm just thinking in my mind, like, there are so many ways to answer it. First of all, it's completely grassroots. And this isn't something that the church was like, hey, we got to find a way to attract people. uh, So let's take the physical world around us and um, let's baptize it or something like that's actually a great answer. Um, but the practice of probably having physical objects to show us the truths of our faith goes way back. We talked about Old Testament concepts. Well, I mean, so one of the objections, just to kind of take a long way of answer this, the one of the objections is that sacramentals break the first commandment, which is don't do not create any image of any God or have any God before me or, or create any images of anything in heaven, in heaven or below. But he did instruct us to make uh, the seraphim and the cherubim on top of the mercy seat of the of of the um ark of the covenant 
of the Ark of the Covenant, covenant right? And there is even the, the section in uh, the Old Testament that talks about the God commanding them to pass over the column that they've, he, char- he charged them to uh, image, a, image a snake, which is actually an image of Christ, by the way. People mm. don't realize that. Um, and that that would be a source of healing for his people. So this this idea of having these things, you know, bells on the on the uh, the breastplate of the high priest's uniform, you know, these are things that the the Jewish people were well familiar with. So by the time that they converted, they were thinking, well, how can we take what God has given us as He has and produce our faith through it, right? To enhance our faith through it, like I said, to direct us to the sacraments because that's really all that jesus did was he said hey all that stuff that i was teaching you for thousands of years and that's in the torah and whatnot i'm pointing to the truths of christ of this new law this new covenant this new way of having your faith this is the real realization of what we're doing so the church has has actually not stopped making sacramentals in fact we're still doing it um and what the church tells us in sacrosanctum concilium which is the vatican ii document for the um for the constitution on sacred liturgy mm-hmm. is they say that this is almost a quote they say nothing couldn't be they say almost anything could be sacramentalized to teach the faithful of the truths of the of the church so so we have stopped at nearly nothing to adopt to baptize and take the take the world around us and say well how can this point us and encourage us to live a life of sanctification i can go on about each individual sacramental but that's kind of a, a long a, a better way of answering it from a grassroots perspective well, I'm going to ask you about each sacramental, probably in the in the last segment. Uh, maybe, you know, so the the big ones. I'm going to ask you about the biggies uh, yeah. in the last segment. So, what is the proper care of a sacramental or its disposal? Its disposal. Right now, I know there's somebody just sending an email. I've got a, various emails that there's a fake. And here's what was, the email says: Jesse, I I received a fake Saint Benedict's medal, probably made in China. I don't know where. And they said it's fake because uh, some of the words did, were not consistent okay. with uh, with the actual St. Benedict's Medal that they have received pr- before. So they said, how do I dispose of this fake St. Benedict's Medal? So I'll, I'll let you answer that. Uh, you that's know, fascinating. What's the, what's the, yeah. What's the proper that's, care of a sacramental or yeah. disposal? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually great that they they noticed that uh, first of all because it's easy to it's easy to kind of come across um, you know illicit materials like that, especially with that example because as we point out in the book, the uh, the priory of uh, Monte Cassino is the only authorized maker of the Saint Benedict Medal. Now they have delegated that role as they've seen, but they are you know they are the authority of the safekeeping of that medal's uh, IP so to speak. Wow. So so that's really cool. Now, sacramentals, the church wants us to care for them. These are not just ordinary objects. These are not just, uh, you know, after it's blessed, especially, which I encourage anybody out there with a sacramental to have it blessed by a priest or to find the right kind of investor for it, investiture for it. Um, but whenever we're talking about caring for them, we're probably talking about like, how do we dispose of them? Or just in case yeah, yeah. Um, something is ripped, like a scapular is ripped or a rosary is broken. I've got six children and I'm telling you, I have had to mend a lot of rosaries, but some of them are beyond repair. So what do we do with those? The church says that we should dispose of them in accordance with the dignity of those objects. So just like we bury people, they ask us to bury sacramentals or to incinerate them um, in any sort of fire. Uh, the church doesn't really prescribe exactly, but those are the two suggestions that we make. But what they don't want us to do is just throw them away like any old object. We don't just want them to end up in the landfill. These are things that have been consecrated 
Some of them, like a chalice, that's a sacramental. Um, vestments, those are those are treated in a special way. Um, and so we have to, like the church says, to treat them with the dignity that belongs to them. Amen. My backyard is full of uh, <laughs> my, my backyard's a gra- it's a graveyard for for sacramentals that have been uh, disposed of properly. So Good. how do you answer a non-Catholic who says that sacramentals are superstitious, a violation of the first commandment? Yeah, well, I think we uh, not to not to skip over that that question, but you know, we talked in the first segment, or maybe it was the second segment, last segment about yeah. about the first commandment, and really, it does it does point to the second commandment too, is you're not supposed to bow before them. Well, we render our hearts to God, as the Psalm says, we rend our hearts to God, and that is what makes it an acceptable sacrifice. Not not all of our superfluous words and prayer or, or even the beauty of these sacramentals, because some of them are quite ornate. That doesn't make them any more valuable, or it certainly doesn't, as we pointed out already, doesn't drive their efficaciousness. Um, but what does is is the movement of our hearts, our ascent to what these things represent. So if we see they see us bowing to them or kissing our crosses or even our thumb after making the sign of the cross right before the gospel reading, um, we can we can take that to mean that our heart and our behavior is assenting to the truth that we find with these things. People have been saluting people for years. People have been bowing to things for years, genuflecting mm-hmm. to things for years. Why do we pick out when we bow to the altar? You know, such a such a crime um, when we when we believe that Christ is crucified there, or or, or that we re-crucify Christ there. Um, so so that's a way to to answer that question. What did that did that hit all of the points there yeah yeah oh the superstitiousness right Right. so some people i think can be superstitious and we'll get into it with the sabatine privilege and um or somebody hanging a rosary from their uh from their car uh mirror rear view mirror um that's these things aren't supposed to stop bad from happening they are there to be interceded by the church in order to move us to devotion and worship of god yeah and they're supposed to they're not a decoration they're not costume jewelry like a lot right. of the rich and famous, uh, they're there to be used. Uh, right. So I'm going to ask you, what's your favorite sacramental? Or maybe you have a few. You have a, maybe you got about two or three silver bullets. Which, which yeah. ones are your go-to sacramentals? I'm a promised lay Dominican, so I would say my white scapular, which I, I actually rarely wear unless I'm at a, an official function or wear it to a special mass. I, I hardly wear that. Um, but I do also wear a um, I do also wear a Saint Dominic's cross, and those are reserved for us, so they're very special to me. Um, but I do also wear a medal that I had blessed. It's a medal of, with the sign of Ravenna on it, the two little birds drinking from the fountain. Um, my wife wears it too, and it's kind of in addition to our wedding rings. You know, this is kind of our sign of our not just of our marriage, but our our, our matrimonial union um, in faith. Um, those are definitely my favorite, but I love all sacramentals. Um, I like my holy water. I've got a little bottle of Easter water there that I bless the kids with when we do comp line. Um, and all of them mean something to me. Of course, all of them mean a little something different, uh, but they're all very special to me. Yeah, uh, I think I would probably say that holy water is the most common sacramental for Catholics. Yeah, uh, definitely for... the most common physical. Yeah, the most common physical. The most common one is a sign of the cross. Obviously, right. that's the most common sacramental for Catholics, but the most common physical one, you would agree that it would probably be holy water, correct? Yeah, it and it is used. I can't think of a sacrament. I can't think of a sacrament that it's not used in. So, yes, it is absolutely the most common. 
And the tradition of the churches, you probably wrote about this, that the epiphany blessing of the holy water, uh, that holy water seems to be the most efficacious holy water uh, that we can use. Is is uh, Have you done the research on that, Sean? It's definitely the sp- most special. <laughs> it involves actual ingredients. You know, the Old Testament in um, the book of... Yeah, actually, there is an Old Testament recipe that I call it uh, for mm. for holy water, where the book of oh, well, we'll find the reference later. There is an Old Testament reference that where they say that the priest should sweep up in the temple the dust and add it to water and bless it, and that would be a sign for the people. Um, that's so cool, isn't it? I mean, we should have mentioned that in the first segment. Are there Old Testament references to it? It's right there. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. It's I think it's in the book of Numbers. It's in numbers or um, I'm losing my vocabulary here. Yeah, What's the yeah, one that yeah, starts yeah. with a C? <laughs> Chronicles? It's in Chronicles. It's like in chapter 28 or something oh, okay. like that. It's okay. definitely referenced in the book. I'm sorry. Yeah, anyway, no, I got, I, I, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking with you. We're talking to Sean Mac, McAfee here. He's a uh, lay Dominican Catholic, lay Catholic convert to the Catholic faith from different Protestant denominations. He's probably run the gamut of Protestantism. And uh, he's uh, the father of six, uh, lives with his wife, Jessica, in New Orleans, Louisiana. Get the book, Compendium of Sacramentals, Encyclopedia of the Church's Blessings. There it is. It's by 10 books, but the book is not 10. But it's by 10books.com, 10books.com. We'll continue this conversation. I'm going to be talking about particular sacramentals with Sean. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. We've got Sean McAfee. He's an author of a new book called Compendium of Sacramentals, Encyclopedia of the Church's Blessings, Signs, and Devotions, put out by 10 books. Get the book. This is a book that should be in every Catholic's uh, uh, this should be part of every Catholic's intellectual property. So, Sean, let's get into some particulars of what of the, I guess, the, what the, the most common sacramental would be in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In Spanish, we do it this way. We make the sign of the cross on our forehead in Spanish. I won't say the prayer in Spanish, but we mark, we, and you'll see Hispanics do this in Latin America. Do it. I want to hear it. Okay. <laughs> Por la señal de la Santa Cruz, by the sign of the cross. De nuestros enemigos, from our enemies. Libranos, Señor Dios nuestro. Liberate us, God Almighty. So with the sign of the, this is common in Latin America, South America. By the sign of the cross, uh, uh, liberate us from our enemies. We ask you, Almighty God. And that's, I was taught that since I was knee high by my parents. Wow. So, when this yeah. get, when this book gets a revision, a second edition is going to include that. I'll write that I'll write that up for you. I'll send it to you in an email. Uh yeah, yeah that's it's it's a, it, and I'll, one of the things also uh growing up in Southern California, and I was a cop out here for many years, many gang members wear the rosary. And many prisoners in the jail also. I worked the Los Angeles County Jail, black prisoners, white. They're not even Catholic. They just like, "Oh, okay, it's going to protect me." So a lot of them wear it superstitiously. So when I was a cop inside the jail, the deputy sheriff, I would tell the guys, I would tell the Hispanic inmates, the black inmates, I'll say, look it, that's not superstition. It's supposed to be prayed. Put your, 
this should focus and center your heart on Jesus Christ. And you, and, and, you know, I would share them. This is the way we pray it, but yeah, there, there is a, a, a superstitious component to it. But then I did discover, and you probably did the research, St. Louis de Montfort, in one of his books, he says that it's okay to wear the rosary around your neck. It's a sacramental. Did sure. you say that? Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, and th- by the way, thank you for your service. I grew up in Southern Arizona and we would see people do that. You know, our, our Hispanic friends would do that or they would have an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, you know, on their license plate or something, or they would get the tattoo. And and I tell you, that's the problem with cultural Catholicism is nationalizing something like that to say, hey, look, the, I'm Mexican. Um, with the Virgin, Blessed Virgin Mary. Yeah, we know that there were millions, you know, co- co- communicated to the church and converted upon the the miracle there with a uh, um, with a uh, Juan Diego. But um, we cannot nationalize and and do that kind of thing. That is, of course, you know, beyond superstition almost. That's just cultural Catholicism, and it it doesn't work, and it misrepresents the faith. And of course, it it really drives people away from it. Also, hey, uh, Sean, something that drives me crazy is. Is uh, and I mean it happened especially during the uh, the COVID lockdowns that uh, the a lot of the holy water fonts in churches were empty. Or, oh, all oh, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. I mean that's taking away sacramental grace from the faithful, and uh, in in some places you know where you'll find a lot of uh, you know modernist and and uh, you know more leftist clergy. They'll put sand on the holy water fonts during Lent. So you go and to it, holy, you go to mass, and you try to bless yourself, and you got a bunch of sand there. <laughs> yeah, and I did see, um, I did see during COVID, you know, people were coming out with a little, you know, how they have the uh, the hand sanitizer dispensers. Well, they did have yeah. like holy water dispensers. Yeah. I saw that even whenever I was in Assisi. Um, it, it wasn't very popular in my mind, but that kind of yeah. does go to the, like I did read some articles online and they were like, hey, um, you know, why would you, why would you do that? You know, it's, it's holy water. It's going to, it's going to remove all of the bacteria, but that's actually kind of superstitious itself. Um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't have control over, I mean, it could, God could control anything he wants under, under the dominion of earth. Um, but that would, that would be equally um, superstitious to me to think like, hey, look, we can't get sick just because we're touching it. Um, but at the same time, why would you remove it from the use of the faithful? I think there's got to be kind of a balance there. Yeah, that was my point. It is, it's like we need more grace, not less grace, especially if uh, right. if we've got the, uh, the 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 Fauci virus looming looming large. Uh, we need all the help that we can get. <laughs> so uh, give me another give me another go to sacramental for you. Obviously, rosary. Side of the cross. We all do it. Okay, rosary. All right. How did how did you as a Southern Baptist? Uh, end up, uh, you know, finding a, d- uh, developing a devotion to the rosary. I mean, that's, that's, that's a long, that's a, that's a, that's a long climb. Yeah. You can ask my wife, anybody from Omaha, they know the voice of Monsignor Peter Dunn and it's Monsignor Peter Dunn. And he would pray the rosary on spirit Catholic radio. I think he passed away, but they ha- even play his recording now. Um, he was very popular there and I would listen to that. I would play, go play, you know, beer league hockey or something. And I would still listen to it, but it made me so upset. I mean, you say Southern Baptist, how did it even happen? You can ask my wife, I would come home kind of like raging mad, like, look at what these Catholics do. Like they're worshiping Mary. Um, so I definitely get the stumbling block that it can create, but really, it, whenever I whenever I learned the Marian dogmas, whenever I learned what the church actually teaches about Mary um, and how we venerate her with hyperdulia and things like that, 
um, it made a lot more sense. And I was like, why would I not? I think it was um, Tim Staples who, who really said it best. Like, why would you not follow the closest follower of Jesus? Why would you not want to imitate them? That's pretty not simple. And then he, I think it was him. He also said, or somebody else smarter than me said, uh, you cannot love Jesus more than Mary and you can't love Mary more than Jesus. And so I'm like, okay, well, why, why, why would you possibly want to, you know, not, you know, try to follow what the saints have told us about Marian veneration. Um, so yeah, that's what got me into practice of praying the rosary. Of course, the intellectual tradition of the Dominicans solidified that. Yeah. Oh yeah, Absolutely. I, I tell Catholics uh, just a simple response that they can share with, with our Protestant brothers is that if you notice just the, the Hail Mary itself, first of all, two-thirds of it comes directly from Scripture, and, and, it, and the Hail Mary's dissected with the name what? Jesus. Right. It's an incarnational prayer. I tell, I've told Protestants, do you have a problem with me proclaiming the incarnation? I mean, I, after all, I'm just proclaiming what the angel Gabriel told Our Lady and what God told Gabriel to tell Our Lady. It's the proclamation of the incarnation. And this makes hell tremble. And so a lot of Catholics, uh, they say, oh, Jeff, that's a good way to explain it. Why? Yeah, that's all it is. It's the proclamation of the incarnation. And this is exactly what Lucifer rejected and which got him in trouble. So give me another go-to sacramental of yours that uh, is part of your arsenal. The crucifix. Hmm. That's an easy one. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's how about holy medallions? Yeah. My comment on the crucifix is it's funny that even Hollywood, as much as they hate Christianity, they kind of understand the power of a crucifix because every time you watch a Hollywood movie, especially like the old Dracula movies when I was a kid, I don't think it's a coincidence. That Dracula, he fears a silver crucifix, not a cross. It had the cross. He fears a silver crucifix. And to me, that, that tells me that Dracula's fear resembles exactly the way demons fear and are driven back by the sign of the cross. Yeah. That's a great that's a great way to look at it. You know, I um I I call to mind one of these uh spoken word videos I saw of a few years ago when those were popular on YouTube. Um, this Islamic man is kind of trying to anti-apologize uh, Christianity and says, why would you look to the cross as something good? That's like looking to an axe that murdered your mom as something good. And I'm like, well, that's not exactly the way. That's not like apples for apples. First of all, my mom's not the savior of mankind. Second of all, my mom wasn't prophesied about the, the piercing of nails in the Old Testament. You know, the, what does the book of Isaiah say? It's like in the fifties, mm -hmm. he says that we would be pierced for our iniquities and by his wounds, we are healed. So we're looking to those tools that God himself chose for his own sacrifice to save us. So of course, we're going to look to the crucifix and say, this is the instrument by which our faith is espoused. And this is the instrument by which, which God said is necessary um, and the fullness of our salvation to use. Yeah, simple way of saying, telling people the cross is the instrument of our salvation. Yeah, no Good Friday, no Easter Sunday. Somebody had to pay for our sins, and our big brother did that. That's what Scott Hung calls uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, the kinsman redeemer, the big brother of the family. He had to pay the price because we couldn't pay it for ourselves. So uh, tell me something else. We've got about a minute left, uh, Sean. Anything else that would entice people to buy the book? It's called Compendium of Sacramentals. Encyclopedia of the Church's Blessings, Signs, and Devotions, 10books.com. Pick one up. Christmas is coming up. Sean, uh, what other thing there can you entice us with? 
This is the most thorough collection of the church's teachings of sacramentals that there is, bar none. 210 references in the book. I wow. read them all. Wow. And there has not been a work like this to compile all of the sacramentals within the church, or as many as we could get in here, right? Um, to to discuss how and why and and when uh, they were made and why they we, they are important to us. Sean, somebody just texted me and asked, asked, to, asked me to ask you about purple scapulars. Have you ever heard of or seen purple scapulars in the Catholic I'd, Church? I'd have to go to that section of the book. We cover like 10 different scapulars. Oh, that one okay. doesn't come to mind, but they they come in just about every color. And the reason the, for those colors is it's, it follows the habit. The scapulars are usually ah. made for the tertiary orders. Um, so they usually follow the habit of that of the uh, order. order that they belong to. Oh, that makes perfect sense. And so the white the, the white scapular that you wear that follows the Dominican order? Yes. Yep. Probably the, which is the most common scapular, I'm guessing. Of course the brown. The brown Carmelites. And and the green scapular, where do we get that one from? Because I know that one has uh, uh there's a lot of stories of conversion uh for people yeah. that wear the green scapular or, or give them to people and hide it in their sock drawer or their yeah. you know, in their desk uh, uh that actually comes from somebody uh her her name is Justine Biscaburu. And she's a French nun for the Daughters of Charity of St. Vincent de Paul, uh, which is somewhere around like the mid-19th century. That is actually the green scapular of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. There's more on that in the book. I don't have it memorized either. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Good stuff. Well, well, it's been a a joy to talk to Sean. Uh, Tanbooks.com. The book is called Compendium of Sacramentals, Encyclopedia of the Church's Blessings, Signs, and Devotions. Well, Sean, I'll tell you, you've you've done... uh, uh, this has been a great contribution for the Catholic Church. Sacramentals are all around us, and somebody has taken the time to give us the understanding, the definition, the theology of sacramentals. This is something that we as Catholics take for granted because they're all around us. We grow up with them. So I want to thank you, Sean, in behalf of all the lay Catholics for uh, contributing to Holy Mother Church in a very powerful way. Uh, your book is going to be something that's going to help people for decades to come. Uh, Final comments, you got 30 seconds, my friend. I had a great time on this show. You know, we were kind of texting in the background. I said, you're a great conversationalist, <laughs> truly. You've got a wonderful show here. I think I might stick around for that next hour with uh, Bishop Strickland. Is he really going to be on? Okay, I want to I want to listen. Probably. Uh, hey, thanks a lot, partner. We'll see you next time. God bless you. Keep the faith. And up next, more Virgin Most Powerful Radio, uh, where you know that we're going to speak the truth with charity, faithful sons of the church, Lovers of Jesus Christ, devotees of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Remember, live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Make sure you wear sacramentals and use them properly, not superstitiously. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you next time.